Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. So, are these your notes? These, <laughs> these are your notes about what we're going to say. What does I it say? it would be a good... <laughs> I didn't even get to idea. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I can just ask you the question. Okay. <laughs> going well it's going really well <laughs> hello and welcome back to the right and wrong podcast i'm jamie and i'm emma and today we are excited to speak to marissa noel author of the unadjusted trilogy and shadow keepers hi marissa it's uh, it's really great to have you with us uh emma and i have been looking over the blogs on your website and uh we're really interested by the the journey that you've had it sounds like you've had a lot of ups and downs and uh, i was wondering if maybe you could bring us in uh, at the start with your sort of original plans, like what, when you first started writing and how you sort of moved through the industry as you have. Sure. Um, hello. Yes, that, that's, uh, that's hello. quite a story. <laughs> um, so really, I had always been a bookworm, but didn't know that I might want to write. I was always kind of like maths and science kid at school. So you know, it didn't occur to me to actually write. Um, but I'd always had this idea for the science fiction novel. And, it, yeah, my dad and I always used to like to discuss implausible theories and things like that. So I thought, OK, well, I'm going to write it. Um, so I did. I spent, you know, a couple of months writing this book and then realized that it didn't have any dialogue and it was only 45,000 words. And I thought, yeah, that's not a book. Um, <laughs> I need to go and learn how to actually do this. So that's when I first went and did the Writers Bureau, Writers Bureau short story and novel writing course. And that had a few aha moments where I realized, OK, I need dialogue. People need to talk in my book. <laughs> so that does help, I find. It really stories. does. Yes, it does <laughs> Sometimes, help. sometimes. Yeah. So I learned the structure of a novel and the balance of dialogue and prose and, you know, character development and, you know, really bite-sized chunks of things and rewrote this book, but didn't really know what to do with it. Um, oh, and I had been working on this memoir of my time that, with a, an anxiety disorder. And that was the book that I really thought maybe I can help others. Um, but it wasn't until I got the idea for The Unadjusted, which was a real boom moment, kind of wake up in the middle of the night, that I thought, actually, I want to do something with this. And I wrote the book in a month and I started querying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't online. I had no, you know, no Facebook, Twitter, writer friends. I was totally on my own. Didn't, you know, I hadn't done English at A-level. I didn't have any industry contacts, you know. But I found the Writers and Artists Handbook, Yearbook thingy. Um, and that's when I thought, okay, I need an agent. I need to write a query letter, whatever that is. Um, you know, not be too personal, which I didn't know at the time. Uh, so I started sending off queries and I took a punt on this one agent um, in Ireland who had no online presence, um, didn't even say what genres she represented, but I just wrote to her and I said, do you fancy a book about this? And she said, yes, let me read it. And then... Uh, she had an editor work with me for a couple of months on it 
um and then she signed me so that took about six months that's pretty good pretty good yeah it was like when I when I realize now you know when I go back now um and I hear about people's journeys and how much longer it can take that was pretty quick actually and yeah also the the book was not in a good state at the time either it was very raw um I hadn't really learned how to edit at that point Mm. so it was a very first drafty kind of here you go but she must have liked the idea so um so that's when I had when I got agent number one um and then really Nothing happened with the unadjusted. I mean, this was just as the Hunger Games was quite big. So publishers were starting to not be interested in dystopian. And we tried a couple of other books um, and still nothing happened. And that's when I kind of, kind of warning bells were going off. And I was thinking, well, why, why is this not working? Um, and I didn't have any of those horrible statistics about only 1% of writers ever get a deal and things like that. You know, I was just like, come on, what's going on here? Yeah. So I went off and did another course and I did the Curtis Brown writing for children with Catherine Johnson, which was fantastic. Um, so there was me and 14 other write aspiring writers who all learned how to critique each other's work. We, and we became really good friends and we're still in touch. We have a Facebook group and that really taught me a lot about my own writing, what my strengths and weaknesses were and what I needed to do to improve. So at that point, I found um, a different agent and still with the unadjusted, but I'd also already uh, secured a deal with a small startup press in the States through a Twitter pitching contest. Yeah. Um, So that was, that was unrelated to your agent. You did that? That was unrelated. Yeah. I used to take part in all the Twitter pitching stuff and invariably got a few likes, but nothing, you know, all small press kind of stuff. Um, but I really liked the vision for the book that she had. Um, and when agent number two couldn't get, couldn't find a bigger publisher, you know, we decided to go for the, for this uh, smaller press deal. And actually to tell you the truth, she's still the best editor I've ever worked with. Um, she oh. pulled out of me things that <clears throat> I didn't know I had um, and really transformed the book um, into, yeah, it's, it's very different to what it was so important uh, to have a good editor isn't it it like really is that you can bounce off I think um absolutely you with your story on because it's so hard to cut down your I don't know whether you found this but do you find it hard to cut down your story once you have a relationship with it as well and you're so yeah. close to it um it can I do hard. do you know I I second guess myself if I'm editing by myself I joke with my friends that I always write a perfect first draft and it's really just because I'm afraid of editing <laughs> and because I second guess myself, but if I have somebody tell me, oh, that chapter needs to go, that co-, then I feel a lot more clinical about it and I can do it. But if I yeah. don't have that confidence of someone else telling me what to do, then I, then I, I get stuck and I'm like, no, 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 I might do yeah. the wrong thing, you know? So. And often they'll, they'll point things out to you, which when you, when you, when you see it, once someone's told you oh this thing doesn't make sense later on with this thing yeah and then you you think about it and you and for a second you think oh yeah obviously yeah. I don't know how I didn't see that absolutely it's you're so close to it yeah or maybe because it did make sense but but you already edited something out that happens yeah. to me a lot mm. or you get these kind of little niggles where you know something's not quite right but you can't quite put your finger on it and then you just take someone to point it out and you're like oh that's what it is you know yeah it's easier from the outside looking in absolutely. for people to spot the things like that yeah, I mean, I work um, as a mentor, actually, as well. And I, it's so easy to see what needs to be done in my mentee's books, you know, but 
trying to apply that to your own book is much harder. Yeah. Yeah. Do as I say, not as I do. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. For people, um, Marissa, wanting to go into writing, um, in terms of mentorship, obviously you're a mentor yourself. How would you suggest they find a mentor or get into that sort of world? Because it can seem very daunting and that there's no answers and they've just kind of got Google as a, as a, um, you know as an answer yeah so what what do you think about that do you know I think that some of the best things to do are to join a organization like Scoobies like SCBWI I never remember the order of those initials I think that's it (laughs) Um, (laughs) because because you can go onto the Facebook group and you can ask all those questions and there will be people that have been around for a long time they can point you in the right direction of Mm. Um, all the various different courses and there are so many and there are so many different mentorships and it's hard to know what would suit you you know and cost you know is also a factor um and there are, there are so many different things and there are free ones and there are paid ones and really the best place to start is somewhere like the scooby gang where they can kind of advise you on what's out there and then you know the reputable ones because people do get stuck into scams and things like that so at least you can start in a place where right I'm going to investigate the um the right mentor which is what I do um or I'm going to investigate the AAM AMM I think it is which is a mentor match in the states or um what was it on pitch wars uh so there's lots and lots of them yeah so it's just about finding what's right for you and also with right mentor what I do we have our free you know selected summer program but we also do mentoring throughout the year um paid mentoring it's actually really reasonable compared to a lot of the other, uh, like the old negatives out there, which, you know, although is fantastic, is, is going to cost you quite a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it just, and that's what you've got to weigh up. You've got to understand, you know, you've got to think how much can I afford? What what do I want? What's going to look good on the CV? What, you know, what bit do I want to learn? Do I want to learn a whole novel structure? Do I just want to work on character? Or do I just need help with my submission package? You know, it, it does depend on what you need. Yeah, I guess there's a lot of uh, sort of self-awareness that you need to figure out where your, yes. your key weaknesses are and identify them. Yeah. And in terms of, um, you've had three agents in your career so far. That's correct. You? Yes. Yes. And and in so I mean, in many ways, do you, do you see agents as mentors, or like if you would look, is that what you would look for in an agent? Yes, I definitely. For me, that's definitely what I want. I would like, you know, somebody. My agent now, Stacey, she's amazing. She's really editorial. And we work on draft after draft of the book until I feel it's almost you could just publish it. Um, and I'm exhausted, but that's in a good way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But you so see, you have an agent now, but you are self-publishing yes. the Unadjusted series. That's Even though, right. Um, I'm right in thinking that the first one was published by... Uh, the the small press that you that's mentioned. right it was published oh, yeah. by the small press and then they and then it was a startup press it was me and another author from Australia um and she decided she wasn't going to carry on with publishing so we got our rights back and at that point my agent was happy for me to resell publish it and also publish the rest of the series um okay because it's harder to get an interest from a publisher once a book's already been published so okay. and I was quite happy because I work really quickly and I write a lot, I, I needed something out there. So I was quite happy to work on the things with Stacey, but also have my series that was just mine and a little self-publishing experiment, as it were. 
Oh, okay. So you, 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 the Unadjusted, you finished that trilogy and you are self-publishing that. The, the yeah. third one comes out later this year. I'm That's right. I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> That's but right. You are working on uh, Other separate, uh, separate books, which you plan to go through traditional publishing Correct. with your Correct. agent. Oh, okay. So does your agent do anything with your self-publishing stuff or does she just leave that with you? Um, I, I think that it's with the rights team. Um, so whether that's international or TV or film, etc. Um, but I, I don't know how hard they're pushing that. Actually, I haven't really experimented. I haven't really asked about that. I'm quite happy just to get on with it. Right. Um, okay. Uh, I do. You know, I have a friend who is fortunately she's a film producer and she's quite interested. So we'll see. You know, oh, maybe exciting. one day. Yeah. <laughs> She was actually uh, a pro- oh sorry carry on. <laughs> no, I was just going to say she was one of the producers on Bridgerton, so um, she's quite oh, popular at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love Bridgerton. It's so good. It's amazing. <laughs> I was going to ask that. Obviously, you've self-published, and or you're going into self-publishing, and you're going through the um, traditional route as well. What are the biggest yeah. differences you find um, through doing both of them? So I think. Um, one of the benefits of self-publishing is the control that you have. Um, it's, you know, you set your costs. You, you know, if, if I had a hard time with, for instance, with the first book of The Unadjusted, because it's a dystopian society based upon the idea of a pill can cure anything or regenerate limbs for soldiers that are, um, you know, have had stepped on IUDs, whatever. Um mm. But my editor at the time was really worried about how it erased disability because it didn't exist. Um, And, you know, we had a long discussion about this and I was saying it's not a political stance. It's not, you know, it's not that I'm saying disability shouldn't be there. It's a dystopian society. So you need to expect that there are um, things that happen like that. But we ended up writing a disabled character into the book just so that you know, if there was any offence, for instance, um, that wouldn't, you know, wouldn't cause a problem and that people weren't erased as, as a group, as a, as a culture, as whatever. Um, so that was it. That was a, you know, it was a couple of weeks of discussion and trying to understand, would that change the heart of the book? You know, this character had to have a really good reason for not taking this pill to, to, you know, um, So it's all those kinds of things that were, were difficult. And I there were there were things that were changing the science and I was pushing back on that. But obviously when you self-publish and you know the heart of your book, you can make those decisions on your own. You don't have yeah. to, you know, it's entirely up to you how you want to treat those kinds of situations. Um, obviously there's, there's an outlay of expense and I think the biggest cost of that is the editing itself you know I don't think I would at this point publish a book without having a a a developmental edit on it um just because I know things are pointed out during that time um or I mean you could get away with having several critique writers really give it you know a once over um but that's probably the biggest cost and then you know with traditional publishing you know, you've got your different routes with small presses. And my experience is that there wasn't really a marketing budget. So 
I decided I didn't want to go down that route again unless it was a press that had uh, some funds to put behind it and raise the awareness because I can do all that on my own um, and I get more royalties if I self-publish. So, uh, you know, it's more lucrative for me to, to do the self-publishing. But there are some, you know, smaller independent presses who have that behind them and I say, great. Um, traditional publishing, yeah, I mean, it's the lack of control. You don't get as much say on titles and covers and, you know, that kind of stuff, whereas with self-publishing, it's totally up to you. Um, but you also sorry as you were touching yes, on okay. before I think the relationship yeah. as well between I guess um your agent and your editor has to be a good relationship as well or you know you have to yes have work yes. with people that are you know gets you and gets your writing as you touched on before and, and that can be half the battle yeah. whereas self-publishing as you said you don't have to do that <laughs> it's yeah. very much sort of a free yeah I guess a free in process it, yeah, it is actually, and I, and it's much quicker because you know traditional publishing is very slow, um, and you're you know most people would produce a book a year, but there are some real self-publishing hotshots who might have a series pre-planned, release a book every two or three months for two years, and they are topping the Amazon charts, you know, and it's incredible to watch them. Um, but it's all about their advertising as well, so you need to get involved in. Uh, you know, Amazon ads and Facebook ads to raise awareness of your book. You need to let other, you know, it's unlikely or less likely to be in bookshops on Waterstones tables. So you need to raise the awareness of your digital footprint. Um, yeah. And that's the way to do it. Yeah. So would you say so that you needed a, whole... a lot more of a social media presence, you know, a, a bigger brand presence for yourself in terms of um, self-publishing? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. No, I wouldn't say that. I think okay. the most thing I think it helps um and I don't you know I don't think I sell many books on Twitter for instance um right there might be there might be 20 or so but I think the biggest thing is actually tackling the ads because right. people who are browsing on Amazon or Facebook and you are targeting your audience to people that like your genre of book and that's the people that are going to buy your book they're, they're already there looking for something to buy um right, they yeah, just yeah, need yeah. a reason to click on you so uh, I think that's more important than social media, actually. Yeah. Although I do, I mean, I do do Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all those things. But, you know, it's more of a bit of a creative fun, I think. I don't, I don't know. I don't have the answer to if it actually garners me any sales or not. Um, so I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's, yeah. it's interesting. It is. I think the ads are really super helpful. It must be. I mean, I've never used them myself, but I think that that must be really helpful to get things out there yes yes I definitely think so if you were giving advice to maybe either your younger self or to, to mm. new authors looking to get into the, into the industry would you recommend self-publishing or would you would you steer them more towards traditional I think it depends on who you are and what you want <clears throat> I think right. um 
if you're I mean I'm very productive and I can write a book in four four to six weeks and I think you know with that kind of rate uh, traditional publishing can be quite frustrating uh, when you're waiting constantly so you know and I'm lucky enough that my agent does allow me to self-publish some things so I get the best of both worlds and I you know I get to feel feel the need of actually having something published out there um but also being on sub with potentially you know a, a bigger publisher who might pick it up um so I think it really depends on the person I think if your dream is the traditional the big publishing and you know all those big deals and marketing then go for it you know there's no reason not to and but know in the back of your mind that you know after a year or two or something and you know set yourself a time limit and say if this hasn't happened in x amount of time I'm going to try the self-publishing because you know it's it's perfectly uh, a valid course and so many people are incredibly successful from doing it actually um yeah yeah it's, it's, good. Good, it's good to hear that you can do both as well. You know, you can yes. go down one route and go down another because at the same time, because I think um, uh, from from whatever I've read or, or heard from people, it's either one or the other. It feels very like you need to make a decision in life yeah. and this is what you need to decide. And yeah. it feels quite pressurised in terms of that. I, I didn't know it was quite... No, absolutely. They're calling us kind of like the hybrid author. And I think there are a lot of people who start out self-publishing and get picked up. You know, like, I mean, Fifty Shades of Grey is like a classic example of that. Um, mm, yeah. and, and the other way around, people who get frustrated and think, actually, I could do this better on my own. And I look at someone, have you guys come across Mark Dawson? Who, um, he runs a advertising course for authors, and he's a very successful self-publisher, um, has had traditional deals, but he doesn't look back now. I mean, he rakes in thousands and thousands every month just by using his ads. And you think Brilliant. if someone like that can do it, yeah, he's like a lead child, you know. Um, if somebody can do that, you know, why why not me? And it's just about cracking the ads and, and making them work for you. So, yeah. And and then I think, you know, it depends on the agent as well because not all agents want you to have um, self-published titles. It, so that's a conversation you would need to have if you're if you're agented. Um, and presumably publishers uh, yeah some kind of thing they might if you're produce if you're releasing a series with them they might not want you to be releasing exactly series on your own exactly so um yeah i haven't had that problem uh, yet so i'm all good <laughs> but we'll do you see. think you'll keep do you, <laughs> yeah do you think yeah. you'll keep uh doing the hybrid style publishing do you think you'll you'll always want something coming out whilst the traditional stuff is kind of moving slowly in the background i i am happy yeah yeah maybe i think i mean because i've got the unadjusted trilogy and the shadow keepers and i think um i'm happy to always have those and always work on them it might be that i even release more around the unadjusted i was thinking potentially about doing a prequel maybe mm-hmm. um so but i think what i would do is probably give it the good go with my agent and do two or three books with her. Um, and if nothing takes, or if she's happy to release the books that have died on sub, then I might self publish those um, and keep going with newer stuff with her. So that's yeah. kind of how I see uh, it potentially going. Cause you know, I'm not, you know, I think I've been around the block a few times. I know it, it, you know, I may not ever get a traditional deal. So um mm-hmm. I just need to look, um, you know, plan for whichever way it might go. So we'll see. Yeah, but I'm open, definitely open to doing more. Um, yeah, we'll see how it goes, hopefully. That's great. 
Yeah. Feels like you've developed a very thick skin to this. You're very open to all the different avenues as you've kind of gone through your career here. Yeah, I used to cry over rejections. Yeah, and well, I think we all have. have I think yeah, I think, yeah, I think you just do. I think you just develop, you just get used to it. Um, and at every stage you go through, there's more of it. Yeah. And I think what helps, I think when I got my first agent, the validation really helps that somebody recognized a talent in me and I thought, okay, um, you know, these rejections don't mean anything about my quality of work. It's, it's not personal. And I was able to compartmentalize that and put that to, to one side. And then it's funny when you get rejections where they say exactly the opposite. You know, one says like, oh, it's too character driven. And the next one says it's too plot driven. And you're thinking, well, come on, you know, one or the other. So yeah. you know that it's very subjective. And it's yeah. just yeah. like you or I, would we like the same books? Maybe not. So mm. I think you just have to remember that. Um, and that it really is like a timing. Um, it's the right idea at the right time on the right desk. Um, and that's what it comes down to. And there are some books out there that are not well written. Uh, and it's all about concept. Yeah, so, that's so true. Yeah. You, um, you speak a lot about, you know, mental health and uh, mm. within your books and your characters. Um, is there a, a an inspiration for this? Yes. So uh, when I was at my first term of university, I lost two friends to meningitis and I developed an anxiety disorder. And I really struggled with that for a long, many years. Um, and at the time, there wasn't really Google and, you know, you couldn't really find out about that stuff. And I'd never read books with characters about mental health that weren't self-help books you know and I just thought I would love there to be a character who has mental health problems but it's not about the mental health problem it's not about trying to get better it's just who that who the character is and they happen to be in this fantastical journey or a science fiction journey or something like that I wanted kids to see themselves and think I don't have to change I don't I don't have to be I'm not going to be better if I get rid of this you know I'm not going to be a better person so it's really important to me to show that uh, to teenagers that you know it's like the, the term mental illness I hate that term it's not it implies something you need to get over and yeah, actually exactly. it's not it's like yeah it's like having diabetes you don't get over diabetes you treat diabetes you know you manage it it's the same yeah. it's the same thing with mental health so it's and actually it gives people amazing qualities in empathy and all sorts of things that they might not have had if they didn't have those conditions. So um, I actually think it can be, it can bring positive experiences as well. Yeah, so that's I my message on my yeah, soapbox. Think... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I couldn't agree more. I think it's a, yeah. such an important, important message um, yeah. to send children as well, especially of, of the age that you write for and especially in the times like, 2020 and 2021 where everyone's on a phone social media and and it's seems to all very much be about bringing people down rather than raising people sometimes and I think having um reading a book that champions this rather than like you said puts it in a corner and making it some sort of illness to be poked and prodded um which it certainly is not uh, I think is really important and and you know thank you for bringing that to the industry as well I think it's it's a brilliant yeah. thing to do oh, thanks yeah um and just circling uh, circling right back to you know writing and how you physically sort of uh, write uh, do you find it hard to do you write in spurts short spurts or do you sit there for hours and kind of scroll away or do, you know how do you find the best 
process? Um, I prefer to have marathon sessions. I, you know, I, I'm, I like to get down, I'd say close to 5k in a day if I can. That's not always possible. I'm miserable if I don't get at least 2k down. This is really what I'm first drafting. Um, And I have been known to do more than that. I had, there's a couple of days when I've done 10 and I'm, that, that is quite exhausting. I don't do that often, um, but it depends because I'm quite a plotter. So as long as I've got the story down, I can just get the words down and I don't try to edit myself. I just, I just go. Um, okay. Yeah. So that, I kind of just fit it in around when the kids are at school. So, you know, I, it's not like I have a preferred time. I just have the time when I have time, you know? Um, yeah. So that's that's my day. and I usually get really productive at about two o'clock when I've only got an hour left and I'm like, okay, I need to stop procrastinating and actually get some words down. I'm like, <laughs> I've only got an hour to pick up quick, you know. It's amazing so what effect time pressure can have. Yeah. It's yeah. So definitely. True. Yeah. It's yeah, it I think it is important to tell the listeners as well that obviously with everyone we've spoken to as well, it's very different for everyone. It's a it's a yeah. very um different process. So each person has their own personal way of maybe going at it for ten minutes in the morning before their coffee yeah. or they need to do it in the evening or you know, whenever. And I think um there's no cult, sort of major rules and regulations, would you say, to, no, not to at that all. process. Yeah. And I think anybody that tries to tell you there is, and, you know, like I think it's Stephen King who says you must write, you know, for a thousand words every day. I mean, you've got to do you. You don't, you can't put pressure on yourself. You've got to figure out what your best, most productive routine is and just stick to that, you know. Yeah. Um, and everybody has times when they procrastinate. It's, you know, I kind of do that where I faff around with my ads and check that in the morning instead of getting to the writing because mm-hmm. I know that's going to be harder on my brain, you know. Whereas I should do it the other way around, but um, but at least with the ads, there's like I know I just need to check this, this, and this. There's a there's an end time. Whereas when you get onto the writing, it could just go on and on and on. Um, yeah. yeah, but you just you just got to do yourself and and what works. And you said that you don't edit your writing too much, or you try not to. You try to have like quite a flow with it. Um, yes. But do you think that the editing process? was hard for you when when it did come down to to taking stuff away or do you think you know you, you just kind of had on the page what you needed to have at the start I think it's getting easier I think I'm now quite a sparse writer whereas I I'm not I don't go into purple prose I don't write more than I need to and actually I need to go back sometimes and add things in and because I do write science fiction fantasy um sometimes that can be little tweaks on world building and making sure that um there's enough information so that the reader can understand what the world is but i you know and what people have said lots about the other justice is that it gets right into the action and the world builds naturally around as you read and i much prefer that as a reader i like i don't want to be bogged down with descriptions of what this planet's like and blah 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 i just i want to get going you know um, and I've, I've become less of a fan of adult books now because of that, because um, I find YA, you you get much more into the meat of things much quicker. Um, They're pacing, like right? That. With adult books, there's a, often a much slower, yeah. uh, slower kind of um, curve as before you get to the action. Exactly. Yeah, I, f- I find them, they can be a bit introspective for me sometimes. So, <laughs> come on, let's go. <laughs> so, I, yeah. I tend to write quite sparsely and I, um, 
I think the other justices originally, it had a very saggy middle that needed to be chopped. Um, mm. But I, I needed help to see that. But I am getting better at recognising what's not working. And I think that just comes with time and experience. So yeah, hopefully... You've been yeah. writing for a long time now, for years. Yeah. And um, how do you feel like the industry or do you feel like the industry has changed do, during this time in any way, as well as like obviously your own writing technique with it? I think that, well, one of the things that hasn't changed but annoys me is the fact that readers read in genre. And I know, um, you know, especially as a teenager, I would read anything supernatural I could get my hands on. Mm-hmm. Um, so it annoys me when, you know, for instance, publishers say, well, no one's, no one's, we're not buying dystopian anymore. I'm thinking, but you've got a whole readership and that's all they read, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so there's yeah. a real disconnect between what publishers want to publish and what readers want to read. And yes, I know, yeah, publishers want to find the next big thing and that next amazing, you know, genre bending, whatever. But you can do that at the same time. I think you still need to provide for your readers what they want. And I imagine sales would be pretty good if they did that. Um, so that that kind of annoys me. Um, I think what's changing is the diversity uh, angles. Um, so obviously there's a shift in not only what our cast of characters might look like, but also the authors behind them and who... Who, who should be writing what books and, you know, that sensitivity and diversity nature, whether it's from a race perspective or gender or sexuality or, you know, whatever that is. Um, and it's tricky. It's a tricky minefield to navigate at the moment because mm-hmm. there are people who could write a really well-researched book that might be outside their field, um, you know, that I think, Oh, it's tricky it's, it's a tricky time it's a minefield yeah it's a lot it really is yeah falling on from from that today mm-hmm. what do you think the best piece of advice is you would give to to you know would-be writers of, of whatever genre or age is there anything specifically that you would take from your your own um, experience uh, yeah sure there's two things I always say um and that's find your tribe I think having written in a vacuum for years Um, And knowing how much I learned from connecting with other writers, I think it's really important to make those connections and actually to have a writing group that um, you can celebrate uh, with and also mourn the rejections with. It makes it so much easier to bear when they're all there with you saying, you know, it's okay, and giving you tips to deal in. Um, My writing group, we all send each other fart gifts uh, to cheer each other (laughs) up. So that's what we do. Um, so you find your thing and it immediately takes the sting out of things and you just giggle about who can find the most ridiculous gift and, and you know you're not alone. Um, so that's that's really do that. And perseverance, I think it's not going to happen if you give up. So it's fine to take breaks and it's fine to do other things. But if it's what you really want, then just keep going, keep learning, keep finding people, keep keep reading, you know, keep doing as much as you can to improve yourself and get your work out there. Yeah, it's not a race. Yeah. Well, if it is a race, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. I yeah. think that and marathons are hard. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that about rounds rounds up uh, the uh, the interview for now, and that means we have just one question left to ask you. Oh, uh, it's the evil question. 
we tried our hardest. Yeah. Uh, and the question is, if you were stranded on a desert island with a single book, mm. which would you choose? I had two because I'm naughty and I couldn't choose one. Um, <laughs> I, I have The Watchers by Dean Koontz, who is my favourite author. I discovered him when I was about 11. I lived in the same town in California, actually, as him. And I, he really got me into the supernatural and horror. And I, it's my favourite of his books. I love it. And it's also about genetics. So maybe that's what inspired me with The Unadjusted. Who knows? Okay. Um, I'm sure. And the other one is probably a bit of a boring choice, but I have to, I can't not it's say it and it's the hunger games i i love the hunger games I mean, it's a classic it's a modern um, classic it's so good it is a cl- it is it really yeah. is and i i've just been re-watching all the movies again and i sit there with a smile on my face um yeah and i love it i love the story i just think it's amazing it's one of those books you just want to be in what i do at least um, yeah i really like the story yeah yeah it's great it's great so, for female characters as well like powerful females i think it is actually it is. yes Yes. So those those are my two, if I'm allowed to. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you so much, Marissa. Thank you. You're very welcome. Yeah. Yeah, Really informative and really helpful. Thank you. Hopefully we'll speak to you later on down your journey as well. And good luck with everything you're doing. It's absolutely no, I'd be delighted. (laughs) To keep up with everything that Marissa is doing, you can follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Marissa Noel 77. To make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow us on Twitter at Right and Wrong UK and on Instagram at Right and Wrong Podcast. Thanks so much for listening and we will see you in the next episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.